dressed in African attire, and there's a couple other people in the room that are dressed in African skirts too. We just got back from Malawi this past Wednesday. It was an incredible trip. Yeah, you can applaud for that. That's exciting. <laughs> it was an incredible trip, and so we decided to support our Af fellow Africans in wearing this, these uh, wraps, and they also use these to carry babies on their backs, so it's kind of like a double purpose, which is fun. Um, but we're going to jump into worship here in a couple minutes, but we're going to show a video in a little bit, the middle of the service, before the sermon, and we're going to talk a little bit about our trip to Malawi, and we just thank you all for your prayers and for your financial support to send us over there. So we're going to start worship, so if you would please stand as we worship together this morning. A couple of us from Malawi have decided to share just a few things from the trip, and the video will, um, we kind of wanted to segue into that by sharing a little bit of uh, things that we did there, so you're not just watching the video, not knowing what's going on in the video, uh, we're going to share a little bit about what you're going to see um, pictures and video-wise, but we wanted to just thank you all so much, first and foremost, for your prayers. We had a prayer chart, prayer sheet, that every single time slot was filled up with you guys, and every hour that we were there was being prayed for. And we ran into some hiccups and we had some issues along the way. And praise God, he protected and provided and we made it back safe and sound and everything went great. And, and we're so, so thankful for what God did there. He did so many incredible things. Um, so I just wanna thank you so much for prayerfully, um, or just praying for us for the last um, 10 days that we were out of the States. And thank you uh, to those of you who finance, uh, financially supported us as well through the Craft and Vendor Fair. And thank you, Marcy, for organizing that and, and uh, bringing in some funds for us as well. And, and uh, for the Hoagie and Cookie Fair and everybody that supported um, that, we just thank you so much for helping to finance this trip and make it possible for all of us to go over there. We had many people donate um, iPads and phones and then medical items and um, Bibles and other books and resources. And we brought over, what, like seven or eight suitcases with us, something like that, full of supplies which was incredible. And to those of you who let us use our suitcases, uh, thank you, because you never know if those would actually make it back, coming the whole way back from Africa, so we appreciate that as well. Uh, we just wanna say thank you so much. We just got such an experience of a lifetime there, and I'm gonna let these other people uh, share a little bit more about that. Mulibwanji. You're supposed to respond, say, I'm good, okay? It means, how are you, Chuchua? Uh, no, we had such an amazing experience. It was a tremendous blessing to be able to go over to Malawi and to just um, love on them, but we got even more loved on from them. They were just so amazing, and I'm gonna let these two expound on that a little more in detail. I just wanted to highlight some of the things that we were able to do in Malawi that you will see in the video. Uh, the most important thing is we got to see water wells that Redemption Church was part of, of donating and, and building these water wells for these people to have clean water. Uh, without the donations, without the water wells, uh, they're drinking really, really bad water and they die from it. And it's just, they, they can't farm the same way um, if they don't have this kind of water. So just know that your donations to Malawi and for these water wells are making a tremendous impact because not only are they going in with water wells, but they're going in with the gospel. And that's the most important thing. We were able to see a hospital in the villages um, that has a water well donated from us as well. Um, the hospitals for these villagers are really hard because uh, it's kind of hard for us to fathom, but it's an hour away sometimes even further for these villagers, and a lot of them don't have transportation. So when they get really sick, they sometimes will go to witch doctors or they'll just end up 
dying from whatever they have, which can usually be fixed if they go to a hospital. So um, just know your donation for the water wells at the hospital are making a tremendous impact as well. We had a couple opportunities to be able to, to teach. And Hello, hello, is this one? He'll put it on? Is it on? Okay. Um, so <laughs> we, we gave away a soccer ball and they, it was so significant to them because their soccer ball was actually just like a clump of dirt and garbage that they had taped together and that's what they would kick around. These people were so grateful for it that they literally got down on their knees and had the ball blessed. One soccer ball between 80 to 100 people that live in a village that they'll all share. And they were just grateful for that. Like, we can go to Dick's Sporting Good and buy 20 of them. And we just, uh, well, we don't want to use that today. Like, they're grateful for the smallest, every single thing that we could, we could give them. And again, that comes from the church as a whole. And that just leads to the hunger that they have. These people are hungry for the gospel. As, as Michael touched on, we, we did a three-day preaching conference. We did a one-day marriage conference. These people were just attentive. They wanted to learn more. And it was so inspiring and encouraging because they were just hanging, even though they couldn't understand our words, they were hanging on every word that uh, Bishop Charles was, was speaking to them that he got from us that was, he was interpreting. So they were just hungry for it. They want more. They want in-depth teaching over there. And I actually had one gentleman come up to me his name was Mixon, and he was like, hey, I just wanna say thank you because the, the depth that you go into when teaching, we don't get that here, and we want more of that. And, and so that just proves that what we're doing is needed, you know? So I just wanna say thank you to everybody that helped out with this, that was praying for us, and uh, if you get a chance to go next time, I'd definitely say go. Good luck, Mel. <laughs> I wanna echo everything that these guys have said already. I wanna say thank you to everyone who's supported us, whether that's through prayer or financially. Um, it's hard to put into words the, the totality of everything that we experienced over the past 10 days, but in the next minute or so, I wanna try and convince you of one thing, which is that missions matters. What we're doing as a church matters. Missions isn't just a, an optional activity for the super Christians, it's the heartbeat of our faith. Uh, a lot of you are doing the Bible in a Year plan, and I hope that so far you've been able to see that missions is the story of the Bible. From the beginning, God's purpose for humanity has been to redeem people from every nation, that they would delight in him and bring glory to his name. Habakkuk 2.14 says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord's glory as the water covers the sea. And how do we spread the knowledge of the Lord's glory? Through missions. In Malawi, it was such a, a blessing to see how the clean water wells have helped alleviate human suffering. But the people of Malawi had a joy that went beyond the physical. They knew that even if those wells break down, even if they die and their kids die, they have an internal inheritance in the kingdom of God. I've been on eight mission trips now, and one of my favorite parts is getting to worship through music. Um, and whenever I look out and see two different nations worshiping the same God in their own language, it's like a little glimpse into eternity. 
Uh, one day we're going to be standing in heaven shoulder to shoulder with believers from every tribe, tongue, and nation worshiping in their own uniquely beautiful cultural expression. If that doesn't excite you, I would argue that your view of God is far too small. He's doing something amazing in the world and he's using his church to accomplish that. We all have a role to play. The question isn't, should I be involved in missions, but how? And if you wanna talk more about that, come and find me after service. As John Piper would say, when it comes to missions, you're either a sender, a goer, or a disobedient. And with that, we're gonna watch a video. Tomorrow is the last day to sign up for the young adult retreat this fall. So if you have any questions about that or if you're trying to sign up and you don't want to miss the deadline, see Mel Trudgeon. She was the one up here who couldn't reach the mic. She is the one that you want to contact about that. So if you're a young adult here, anybody who has graduated high school up until about 30-ish, 35, uh, if you want to go to these young adult retreats, see Mel. Um, you definitely don't want to miss out on that. Another announcement that we have is that this Wednesday, we are having a parents' night here at the church. This is for any parent who has a kid in Redemption Kids Ministry on Sunday morning or all the way up through senior year of high school. So if you are in the Impact Youth Group or you have a student within that age range. So basically, if you have a kid who is birth to 18, this night is for you. We are gonna meet here at the church from six to eight. It's gonna be a couple of refresh, a little bit of refreshments and things like that, cookie tray and all that. But what we wanna do is we want to, first off, fellowship with you. I think it's helpful whenever parents not only get to fellowship with the ministry leaders that are pouring in the gospel to your kids week in and week out, whether it's on Sunday morning or on Monday nights at youth group, but also fellowshipping with one another getting to know one another, holding each other accountable, building relationships with other families, I think is a, a vital part to raising and reaching the next generation with the gospel. But all, ultimately, the night on top of fellowship and encouragement is also to equip you. See, as, as the Redemption Kids and Impact Youth Leaders, we want to help come alongside of you as we, again, try to raise and reach the next generation with the gospel. And so please, uh, if you did not get one of these handouts, uh, they have them back at the kids' ministry table. There's a couple of tables out there. You can scan the QR code on the back to register. We just need to know. We will have childcare for up to second grade, I believe. Um, and then if your kids are older than that, they can just hang out with you. I really encourage you to mark that out this week and come. I understand that Throughout the week, we have lots of things going on and our schedules fill up very quickly. And so it's like, oh, another evening where I have to plan something. This is one that you really don't want to skip. Because what better way, to, what better uh, reason to carve out time during your schedule than to come, be encouraged, fellowship with other believers, and talk about what it means to reach the next generation with the gospel. So mark that on your calendar. That's Wednesday, August 9th from 6 to 8. And then lastly, uh, the Impact Youth Group this Friday are doing a night swim at the Vandergriff Pool from 8 to 10. So again, if you're 7th through 12th grade, going into 7th, you're more than welcome to come to that. Uh, contact me if you have, see me after service or whatever, if you have any questions about that. That's from 8 to 10 at the Vandergriff Pool. Okay, that's all the announcements I have. Uh, oh, the backpack drive. I believe... Someone correct me if I'm wrong. I believe next week is the last week to bring back supplies for the backpack. Is that correct? Someone give me a thumbs up who read the, the slip today. 
Is that correct? Yes, next week. So if you took a slip, if not, I believe there's still some back there. We're doing a drive along with the Need Cafe uh, where we're going to be donating school supplies to kids in need in the community. So if you want to take one of those slips, it's in the back of the fellowship area. Bring those items back uh, by next week. That's the deadline for that. Glad I remember that. Okay, so let me read Psalm 50. I'll pray, and then Pastor Fred will come bring the message. Psalm 50 says this. The mighty one God... The Lord speaks. He summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. From Zion, the, perfect, the perfection of beauty, God appears in radiance. Our God is coming. He will not be silent. Devouring fire precedes him, and a storm rages around him. On high, he summons heaven and earth in order to judge his people. Gather my faithful ones to me, those who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. The heavens proclaim his righteousness, for God is the judge. Listen, my people, and I will speak. I will testify against you, Israel. I am God, your God. I do not rebuke you for your sacrifices or your burnt offerings, which are continually before me. I will not take a bull from your household or male goats from your pens, for every animal of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird of the mountains and the creatures of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and everything in it is mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Sacrifice a thank offering to God and pay your vows to the Most High. Call on me in the day of trouble and I will rescue you and you will honor me. But God says to the wicked, what right do you have to recite my statutes and to take my covenant on your lips? You hate instruction and fling my words behind you. When you see a thief, you make friends with him and you associate with adulterers. You unleash your mouth for evil and harness your tongue for deceit. You sit maligning your brother, slandering your mother's son. You have done these things and I kept silent. You thought I was just like you, but I will rebuke you and lay out the case before you. Understand this, you who forget God, or I will tear you apart. And there will be no one to rescue you. Whoever sacrifices a thank offering honors me. And whoever orders his conduct, I will show him the salvation of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for uh, this morning, this time of worship together. Thank you for the incredible update from the Malawi team and all the work that you're doing, not only here in Lower Borough, but across the globe in places like Malawi, Africa. And thank you that we get to be a small part in that, in, in building your kingdom. And Father, now as we center our hearts and minds around your word and we, we reflect on your mercy and your grace and your beauty this morning, allow us also to focus on another characteristic of yours, which is the fact that you are righteous and you are a judge. Help us to heed that, the warning from Psalm 50 this morning in our own lives. Be with Pastor Fred as he brings the message. Inspire him by your Holy Spirit. Convict us where we need convicted. Change us where we need to be changed. Make us more like your son this morning, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Marty. I am experiencing a little bit of what Jesus said. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. My, my heart is to preach and uh, to proclaim the word of God uh, with boldness and conviction, especially coming back from the trip we just had. Uh, I tried that Friday night and um, I didn't get too far. I started coughing and actually had the, the congregation read the scriptures from the screen while I, while I uh, popped in a throat lozenge. So bear with me, please. 
uh, do my best um, to, um, to avoid getting into that situation again. But I am excited to talk about this passage. What a great psalm. One of the things I love about the Psalms is the range, not only of emotions that we find from those who wrote the Psalms, but the range of, uh, and, and the depth of God's character that we experience. And here we see a God who is both merciful and mighty. He is willing to judge and he is, he is willing to judge justly. I titled this message, The God Who Hates Religion. And so, I assume I have some explaining to do why I, would, why I would label him as the God who hates religion. But let's look at a couple of things before we get to that. If you have the handout in front of you, the things you'll see that I wanna highlight today begin with, God speaks and makes himself known. God speaks and makes himself known. This idea that God is somehow silent or that God is unknowable that so many have bought into. I think sometimes we confuse speaking on command with speaking at his will. We want God to speak according to our terms. We say things like, God, if you're real, show, show me a sign. And God doesn't operate that way. He doesn't, he doesn't obey our commands. I mean, he may choose in his mercy to show a sign at times. But God certainly speaks. He has made himself known all throughout human history. God has been revealing who he is. He has been speaking to mankind in a way that man can know God and understand him. The Psalm says in verse one, the mighty one, God, the Lord speaks. He summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting from Zion, the perfection of beauty. God appears in radiance. Our God is coming. He will not be silent. And when he comes, devouring fire precedes him and a storm rages around him. It's, it's, it's probably not wise to demand for God to speak because at times when God speaks, it's a very terrifying thing. At times when, when God chooses to reveal himself, it causes great fear in those who witness his revelation we see an example of that here in Psalm 50. Devouring fire precedes him. What is it devouring? Perhaps those who have questioned him, we don't know. A storm rages around him. One thing is clear is that God has made himself known. He is not a hidden God. He is not a God that lives in silence. He is a God that delights to reveal himself and to make himself known throughout human history. And when he speaks, what do we learn about him? The next thing you'll see on the handout is that God, we learn that God is the judge of all the earth. In Psalm 50 specifically, he's focusing on judging his, his chosen people, Israel, but we know from the rest of scripture that he judges all people. Verse four says, on high, he summons heaven and earth in order to judge his people. Gather my faithful ones to me, those who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. The heavens proclaim his righteousness for God is the judge. You know, sometimes people say in, in, in a boastful and prideful or arrogant way, sometimes people say, only God can judge me. They're, they're proclaiming, you, you hold 
no authority to judge my character or my actions. Only God can judge me. I think people who say such things don't understand the righteousness of God's judgment. It's not a good thing to be judged by God. To be judged by God according to his standard can only result in guilt. To to be judged by God will result in just punishment for the sins that we have committed. We don't want God to judge us. It's a far better thing to be judged by human minds than to be judged by the holiness and righteousness of God. Hebrews chapter 10 says, In verse 28, anyone who disregarded the law of Moses died without mercy based on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think one will deserve who has trampled on the Son of God, who has regarded as profane the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and who has insulted the spirit of grace? For we know the one who has said, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. Verse 31, it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The fact that God makes himself known is sort of a two-sided coin. On, On one side, aren't we glad that we can know the God of the universe? On the other hand, he's 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 to be feared. He is infinitely righteous and just, and we are not. One of the things that the Psalms focuses on a lot that we, we don't always choose to focus on is the justness of God's wrath, his judgment against sin. God is the judge of all the earth. And for us to stand before him and to be judged by his standard is a terrifying thing. However, God is not just just. We know that he is kind and he is merciful. And so the reason that I titled this message The God Who Hates Religion is not because God hates all religion. Religion is a broad term. It can mean it depends on what you mean by religion. What I mean by religion here is what God is going to specify or what is specified here in Psalm 50 by the psalmist is religious activity that the worshiper assumes absolves them from guilt. In other words, those who, who, who participate in things like Sunday morning worship, perhaps go, even going on a mission trip, obviously done for the right reasons, with the right heart is a beautiful thing, as we saw. But if you think that, that participating in religious activity like that is somehow going to satisfy this holy and righteous and just God and absolve you from the responsibility for your sin, that is deception. Religion that gives the worshiper the impression that they can somehow please God on their own. Religion that gives the participant the misconceived idea that their, their sin scale can be balanced out by a few good deeds. That type of religion God hates. His judgment, according to Psalm 50, his judgment of his people, the next thing you see on the handout, What is his judgment? That he despises 
their hypocritical and heartless worship. It's their religion that he came to judge. It's, God does not take issue with, in this, in this context, he is not taking issue with what they do outside of their religious practices. In, in other words, sometimes we think the worst people are the ones who don't participate at all in religious activities. We think sometimes the worst people are the ones who don't go to church. And God has plenty to say about those who, who don't even attempt to come near to him. Don't get me wrong. But in this particular instance, it's actually their religion that God is taking issue with. It's actually their religion that is getting in the way of them actually knowing God. This is how he describes it, verse seven. Listen, my people, and I will speak. I will testify against you, Israel. I am, your God, I am God, your God. I do not rebuke you for your sacrifices or for your burnt offerings, which are continually before me. You see, these are religious people. They're doing the things. They're constantly offering the sacrifices. But he goes on to say, I will not take a bull from your household or male goats from your pens for every animal of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird of the mountains and the creatures of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you for the world and everything in it is mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? In other words, you're your worship is doing nothing for me because it's heartless. It's hypocritical. You think, you think that your worship makes you right before me. That's the kind of religion that God hates. He does not need their sacrifices. He's not even eating them. <laughs> it's, it's the worshipers and the priests that are consuming the flesh of the sacrifices. If he gets thirsty, he's not asking them he owns everything. It's, it's not their act of worship that he needs. And if it's done, <clears throat> if it's done without a true heart for God, it's actually offensive to him. I fear the same may be true today. When we come before God, supposing, oh God, he must, he's so lucky to have me. I got up and went to church today. How blessed he must be that I even lifted my hands during one of those songs. Listen, getting up and going to church today is great if you're doing it because you love the Lord and you love his people. Raising your hands in worship, I recommend it. But if you think that somehow you are approaching God based on your own merits, if you are approaching God saying, look at all that I have done to please you, God doesn't need that. He doesn't, he doesn't need you to be here today. He doesn't need you to lift your hands and worship. He wants you to know him. He wants you to enter in to a real relationship, a covenant relationship with him. That's the next point on the handout. Instead, instead of their heartless acts of worship, he desires their gratitude and their trust. He wants their hearts. 
He does not want some sort of outward performance detached from their heart. He wants them to enjoy their God. He wants them to engage in knowing him and in fellowship with him and in true heart-driven service toward him. There's a huge difference. The, the difficult thing is that it, sometimes it looks exactly the same on the outside. I can't say that every Sunday I come in here and my heart is, is where it needs to be or that I'm a, 100% focused on the Lord. Sometimes my mouth is singing songs and I'm going over a to-do list in my mind. I imagine that, that you do the same at times. That is not what God desires. It's not what we do outwardly. It's, it's when what we're doing outwardly is connected to a heart that wants to know him, that wants to enjoy him, that wants to serve him, that he is pleased. I said he desires their gratitude and trust. Let me show you that from the passage, verse 14. He says, offer a thanksgiving sacrifice to God and pay your vows to the Most High. Call on me in a day of trouble. I will rescue you and you will honor me. God throws into contrast two different ways of approaching him. One is focused on outward obedience to the law. Those sacrifices that they were offering were commanded by God in the law. It was part of the way he had designed for them to worship him. So outwardly, they were doing the exact right things. They weren't, they weren't doing the wrong things. But inwardly, they were disconnected from what they were doing outwardly. And so he gives them a new command. He says, offer a thanksgiving sacrifice. A thanksgiving sacrifice is not commanded in the law. It's not even defined as a specific sacrifice. There were sacrifices that you could offer to atone for willful sin. There were sacrifices that you could offer to make yourself clean uh, in order to come into God's presence. And those were all specifically outlined. A, a thanksgiving sacrifice is not defined other than it must come from a grateful heart. Someone who comes to God with thanksgiving Someone who comes to God with a heart of gratitude, that is what he desires. He even invites them to call on him in the day of trouble. That is trust. Who do you, who do you call when you're in trouble? You call somebody you trust. You call somebody that you believe can help you out. And he's inviting them to that kind of trust. He's inviting, inviting them beyond obedience to the letter of the law and into a relationship with him that is built on their gratitude for who he is, for what he has done, and their trust in who he is and what he is able to do. He says, I will rescue you and you will honor me. You see the contrast between what they're doing and what God desires. They're busy doing religious things and God says, I want your heart. I want, you to be, I want you to be grateful. I'm your God. I have made you my people. I have delivered you out of Egypt. I have given you this land that I promised. I have multiplied you. Be grateful and trust in me. 
The next to the last thing on the handout is this, religion that falls short of truly knowing and worshiping God deceives us. Why does God hate religion? Why does God hate their busy outward activity detached from a heart of gratitude and trust? Because it's keeping them from knowing the true God who loves them and offers to save them. And the same thing is true of us today. God hates. Why is God so hard on our sin? Because he hates anything that gets in the way of us knowing him as savior and enjoying him as our God. I wanna show you that from this next part of this passage. It says in verse 16, but God says to the wicked, what right do you have to recite my statues and to take my covenant on your lips? This is how he describes them. You hate instruction and fling my words behind you. When you see a thief, you make friends with him and you associate with adulterers. You unleash your mouth for evil and harness your tongue for deceit. You sit maligning your brother, slandering your mother's son. You have done these things and I have kept silent. Remember that line for a moment. You thought I was just like you but I will rebuke you and lay out the case before you. When God says, you, you, you have done these things and I have kept silent, therefore you thought I was just like you. He's, he's saying, just because I haven't judged you already, just because I've, I have been patiently waiting for you to turn back and I have not unleashed my judgment on you yet, doesn't mean I approve of your behavior. Remember, as a teenager, you know, I was a pretty typical teenager. Um, not like any of the teenagers in in this room. I was a knucklehead. I was I was um, just not just did a lot of stupid things. Not like any of you guys. You guys obviously the cream of the crop in here, you teenagers. Um, but I, you know, I got in a lot of trouble. Did a lot of stupid things. And for there was a period of time where. Uh, and, and my dad, on the other hand, my dad was a law enforcement uh, officer, very strict. Um, there was a time where I was starting to think, man, I'm really good at being bad because he has no idea. He has no idea what's going on. I, I'm hiding this from him so well. And I was so foolish for thinking that because one night I came home and my dad confronted me for what I was doing. And man, he brought the law down on me. Literally and figuratively, he actually called the cops on me. He actually had one of his police officer buddies come over in uniform and, and give me this big, long lecture. And then he took everything from me. When his judgment came down, it came down all at once. I mean, he, I, know, I know today we have this whole gentle parenting thing and we talk to our kids about our feelings. My dad wasn't aware of, of all of that. Um, he just had wrath and punishment. And, and he turned my life upside down and he forbid me from doing everything um, that I wanted to do. I was grounded, I owned nothing. I was it, was, it was all that. And I remember thinking, man, I thought I was getting away with it. I just thought he didn't know. And, and here's God saying, just because I haven't judged you yet doesn't mean I approve of your behavior. And he's warning them He's coming. 
He's coming to judge them. He's, he's coming to bring down the law upon them. But he's doing this. Why did my dad do that? Because he's a terrible person? I thought so at the time, to be honest. I thought, man, what a lame dad. But you know why he really did that? He did that because he loved me and he knew the things that I was into were going to destroy me. He wanted to save me. Now, whether or not he went about that the right way and all of that, uh, we still debate that today. But in the same way, God hates. Why is God so hard on, they're trying. At least they're showing up to church. At least they're doing some of the things that he has commanded. Why is God so angry? Why is he so hard on this? Because what they're doing is actually deceiving them. What they're doing is actually destroying them. What they're doing is actually keeping them from experiencing the life that he created them to be. He's their God and they're not enjoying him. He's their God and they're not experiencing his salvation. He's their God and they're not enjoying the freedom of being in him. That's, that's why God hates religion. That's why God hates anything that keeps us from experiencing the relationship with us that he died so that we could have. Therefore, last thing you'll see on the handout, God rebukes false religion and improper worship to save us and to offer himself to us. He rebukes false religion and improper worship to save us and to offer himself for us. This is how, how the Psalm ends. It, it, it ends, so much of this is a rebuke. So much of this is about judgment. So much of this is about I'm coming to correct you. And then it ends with it, this extended offer of salvation. Understand this, you who forget God or I will tear you apart. He's, their sin has risen to the point where he's no longer going to tolerate those who are leading their countrymen in false worship. The time has come to remove their influence from the rest of the people. And so one option is keep doing what you're doing and God is going to come and he's going to destroy them and there will be no one to rescue you. The other option is whoever offers a thanksgiving sacrifice honors me and whoever orders his conduct, I will show him the salvation of God. Amen. Here's the thing, Israel's at a point, when this psalm is written, Israel's at a point where God is going to act. He's not gonna stay silent. And he's given them one more chance. This is not the first chance they've had. He's given them one more chance. Turn, turn back to me and receive my salvation. But if you don't, I'm going to remove your presence and your influence from my people because you're doing great damage. We don't know when we reach that time. We don't know when we've come to that point where I think I'm getting away with it and then boom, destruction comes, judgment comes. God comes, he says, I'm not going to let you do this anymore. You're destroying yourself and the people around you and I'm I'm not gonna tolerate it anymore. But we know that today he's extending salvation. We know that today God is still saying, whoever turns to me, I will show him the salvation of God. 
Whoever turns to me will receive mercy and kindness and become a true worshiper. Whoever turns to me, because God has sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins, whoever turns to him now will not be judged. Not even God will judge them, at least not according to their sins. He'll judge them according to the righteousness of Christ. Those of us who have turned to Jesus Christ for salvation, we will be accepted. We will, we will be granted eternal life, not because we went to church, not because we raised our hands, not because we went on a mission trip, but because Jesus Christ died in our place. Today, we still have an opportunity to come to him. Today, we still have an opportunity to know him as savior instead of knowing him as judge. Would you close your eyes? If there's anybody in this room today who wants to receive Jesus Christ as savior, I would encourage you to pray along with me now. Something to the tune of Jesus being a sinner I humbly come before you. I know I deserve your just judgment, but today I come asking for your mercy because I believe you died in my place on the cross so that I could have my sins forgiven and begin to enjoy eternal life even now. Would you make me a true worshiper and grant me eternal life? And Father, for the rest of us, perhaps who have already taken that step of receiving Jesus, may this be a reminder to us, you don't, you don't need our religious behavior. You desire for us to live out a personal relationship with you. You desire for us to, with gratitude, enjoy the salvation you have given us. You desire for us to know our God, our Savior, our King every day in our lives. And I pray that we would truly give our hearts to living out in that relationship with you. And when we're just going through the motions, Spirit, would you gently remind us that we're missing out on what you really came to offer? Would you gently remind us that that going through the motions isn't doing anybody any good. And would you awaken our hearts to enjoy life in our Savior? We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.